Welcome back to Jazz Talk Northwest. This is episode number two for February 2018. My name is Josh, and I play jazz accordion. And my name is Max, and I play jazz drums. And today we're going to be going over a couple different albums. One is called La Vie en Rose by Richard Galliano and Sylvain Luke. And the other is Please Send Me Someone to Love by Phineas Newborn and his trio. So let's start off with that Phineas Newborn Jr. record. A little bit about Phineas. He was uh, born in 1931 in Tennessee to his father, Phineas Sr., who played drums in blues bands. And Phineas Jr. studied piano, trumpet, and saxophone. I don't know how much he worked on those instruments, but I guess he at least studied them. He uh, started out playing in an R&B band led by his father, and then later on worked with uh, bass player Charles Mingus and vibes player Lionel Hampton. Then he eventually moved to New York City and performed and recorded in uh, different trio and quartet settings. Yeah, he's he's one of the, I guess, maybe slightly lesser known jazz pianists, really, even among jazz musicians, but definitely not one to be ignored. Um, this record actually was part of a session that, that produced two separate records that I found out when I was researching this. And uh, so, of course, this one is called Please Send Me Someone to Love. The other is called Harlem Blues. And I've listened to them both, and they're both amazing. And they're produced and recorded by the same people, uh, Lester Koenig, to be specific. And I guess both of them were recorded, um, looks like the session dates were February 12th and 13th of 1969, and the one that we spent most of our most of my time listening on, uh, at least, "Someone to Love," was re- uh, released in 1969. "Harlem Blues" wasn't released until 75, which was much later. Very interesting. I did not know that. Now I do. Now I think the most interesting thing for me personally about, actually, I guess both of these records, but uh, for our sake, please send me someone to love, is the personnel on it, and that is Elvin Jones on drums who a lot of people know from his time playing with John Coltrane and Ray Brown, arguably the most well-known jazz bass player of all time known for his exceptional ability to swing. And he, yeah, Ray Brown played with Oscar. I love Ray Brown's work in Oscar Peterson trio and oh, he yeah. worked with Ella Fitzgerald a lot. He was married to Ella Fitzgerald for a little while. Yeah. I mean, these are two of the most legendary jazz musicians on their instrument of all time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what do you think of the record? Well, I thought it was very interesting that they had never played together as a trio before, mm-hmm. before this, this session. And that was apparently on purpose. And uh, one thing I noticed when I was reading these notes in the album here, actually this is from the, the notes on Harlem Blues, but since it's from the same session, I think it still counts. And I found it really fascinating that they said, I'm quoting here, the session was conceived as a means to display Phineas as a piano soloist with the bass and drums taking accompaniment roles rather than as an integrated trio where the three instruments interact on a more equal level. It underscores the genuine musicianship of Ray and Elvin that they understood this, and despite their prodigious creative gifts, managed to contain their soloistic inclinations while still maintaining the essential intimacy the musical context required. (laughs) That's kind of a a mouthful there, but really it's true. And if you're listening to this, Elvin Jones, if you don't know, is kind of known for his own style of playing with John Coltrane, which is extremely um, bombastic and powerful and intense, triplet-heavy, 
and loud, very loud. And this is uh, this session happened probably I guess a year and a half to two years or so after John Coltrane passed away. And a little bit about Coltrane, he was also, I mean, I'm sure most people listening to this have heard that name before. He's one of the most well-known saxophone players of all time. And towards the end of his career, he was heavily experimenting in, in what a lot of people call sheets of sound or very, at that time, avant-garde, um, very intense at times, creative, crazy jazz, basically. Um, and... For Elvin to go from that to playing straight-ahead piano trio with these two monsters that have all never played together before, I think is very interesting because that's a complete, complete world shift uh, for really all of them, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, that quote from the album liner, which I haven't read because I don't have that other record, but uh, is really interesting and makes a lot of sense um, after having spent a bunch of time with this uh, Please Send Me Someone to Love. It's definitely a piano showcase. He goes nuts. You hear him do all sorts of crazy stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit. And uh, Ray Brown and Elvin Jones just take a back seat to it, and it's kind of cool. Um, there's one bass solo, I think, on Brentwood Blues. I forget <laughs> which track it is. I wrote these down because I thought it was interesting. There was only one, and there was one drum solo. Uh, I think on a different track, maybe the same one, I don't remember, but there, there's just one of each and everything else is just the Phineas Newborn show. And I, th- I actually didn't notice that when I first listened to this album. I, it just, it sounded really good and I kept listening to it and that didn't even occur to me mm. that there were really not that many solos for bass and drums. But now that you mention it, that's very interesting. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't been listening for that, but it flows very well as is. It does for sure. And so admittedly, I'm a piano player and I spend a lot of time on keyboard. So that's what I paid most attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like his playing a lot. His sound is very bluesy. Uh, oh, yeah. It kind of reminds me a lot of Oscar Peterson. Yeah. And he's got the Art with, Tatum in there as well. Uh-huh. And yeah. Art Tatum is a, another famous jazz pianist, although he's uh, quite a bit older or was kind of pioneered a what would you crazy do? fast yeah. licks <laughs> <laughs> crazy technique crazy stride stuff at times and mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um yeah if you want to hear some more of elvin jones playing in a trio he has some other recordings with with hank jones and um i think there are a few others that i'm not fully aware of but mm-hmm. it's kind of rare to hear to hear these well to hear elvin play in a trio period at all so there's that as well. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on um, Phoenix's playing specifically for piano stuff? Well, there was some speculation that he would be kind of past his prime in this mm. recording session. I mean, because he had is... a big break in his or a big lull in his career, rather, for a yeah, couple of years he, that he wasn't recording and playing. This right? is really, I think, the only session from uh, I forget the exact date range, but it's mm-hmm. it's almost 10 years, I think, where this is pretty much the only recording Phineas put out. Yep. And uh, no, he, instead of being past his prime, I think he sounds amazing on, on these songs. Yeah, totally really amazing. Um, again, lots of very blues influenced stuff. I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that comes from his dad or his, his childhood listening oh, yeah. to that kind of music. 
Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, also some uh, really fast bebop type runs and he seems to really like the two hand playing the same line, um, a couple octaves apart thing. And, and you're speaking about cool. fast, but I also, I really like the, the very, very, very slow. Mm-hmm. What, which, which track uh, is that? I think Isn't that Please Send Me Someone to Love? Come That's, Sunday, I think. Comes, oh, Come Sunday is also very slow, yeah. But there's a really slow swing tune on this one. I, I think it might be Please Send Me Someone to Love. Mm. And it's just really slow. And it's it's really interesting to hear how Elvin and, and Ray are interacting with the time feel because they're coming from such different places. But how it really swings. W- describe hard. that a little bit for me. What do you mean how they interact with the time feel? Yeah. So Ray Brown is known for playing the time straight down the middle of the beat, just mm-hmm. swinging through. You could swing through the deepest fog you can think of. Elvin is is uh, known for maybe swinging very hard, but but playing kind of more around the beat, mm-hmm. playing more anticipated things, playing more uh, very b- like bombastic, as I said earlier, kind of setups and and dynamic changes and yeah, very extreme basically. Cool, yeah, that's a. <clears throat> definitely uh different ends of the spectrum and it's cool yeah. that they can work together and not only work together but shine as accompanist for Phineas newborn to play all his stuff over yeah. there's a pianist in town that introduced this to me and his name is tony foster and uh he was saying that really not that many people know about these records and he's right i think uh, i had not heard of them before yeah i have not spent any time listening to Phineas Newborn before before this. I think these are so, some, some hidden gems. Yeah, right really, really great records. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that's all we have time for for this one. Yeah. Uh, there are links in the description of the podcast oh, yes. to uh, find these records. They're not on streaming, but I'll, I'll put an uh, Amazon link or something like that so you can get yourself a copy and listen to them. I had to order these from Japan, but I believe they might have them on YouTube as well. Okay, cool. The second album we have on the list today is La Vie en Rose by Richard Galliano, the accordionist, and Sylvain Luc, guitarist. So I have here in my notes for their bios really quick. Richard Galliano is a French accordionist, son of Luciano, and Italian accordionist. Uh, Richard started playing at age four, so he's been playing accordion for basically the entirety of his life. He's very prolific. He's collaborated with Astor Piazzolla, the um, tango bandoneon player, mm-hmm. uh, bassist Ron Carter, trumpeter Wynton Marsalis. He's got all sorts of records. He's a very well-known in jazz, but he's also done work in tango, Brazilian music, and even some classical music. He recorded with a, a symphony. Um, wow. And so the other person on this record is Sylvain Luc, the guitarist. Uh, he was born in southwest France, also to a musical family. Uh, his two older brothers play accordion and drums. So Sylvain uh, grew up playing guitar and violin. He studied cello in conservatory for a while, which is very interesting. And apparently also played bass in Richard Galliano's trio for a little bit as well. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this uh, record, La Vie en Rose, released in 2015, is uh, seems to be mostly a tribute to uh, Edith Piaf, the mm. old French singer, and Gus Vizor, a musette accordionist uh, from also way back in... Um, French musical history (laughs) (laughs) French musical history way cool yeah I really liked this album when I was listening to it Uh, I was initially listening for little things that stuck out to me about the uh, specifics of the music like time signatures or Mm -hmm. dynamics or whatever and I I quickly got distracted just by how interesting this was to listen to 
It actually honestly put me to sleep the first time. Not in a bad way, in a very <laughs> good way. I was tired. But I started having these crazy dreams and I realized it was because of this music. And it kind of just takes you in once you start listening to it. And it's hard to really focus on uh, the specifics of what's going on because it's played so well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I really like specifically is Richard's uh, accordion playing in that he kind of brings in some some tensions and notes and things that I've, I've really never heard other accordionists attempt yet. I mean, even, yeah, go for. But it sounds amazing, and you would never notice if you weren't really paying attention. Like but harmonic tensions? Yeah, little little harmonic tensions and, and just little subtle, like, little tiny pieces of the music that you really would never notice. But yeah, it's like, oh, that was, like, very, very tasty. Yeah, and no one's ever going to notice that unless they're really listening. But uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed. I think the biggest thing for me for this the record, and I've listened to it a bunch of times, uh, is the interaction between the guitar and the accordion and how they toss the melody back and forth. Yeah, it's amazing. They it, there's no uh, it seems like a very natural, free flowing uh, ping pong match between who has the melody and who's playing the support role and uh they both play those roles extremely extremely well yeah and you said sylvan grew up with uh one of his siblings as a drummer or something drummer yeah yeah you can kind of hear the the influence of um different kinds of instrumentalists in the comping mm-hmm. it's it's really really cool how that works uh what kind of drummer influence do you hear in the guitarist comping it's kind of a rhythmic it's it's listening for the spaces yep so you're listening for the spaces and kind of using uh, not just notes, but but rhythms to set up the conversation, basically. And that's actually kind of how I feel about uh, Richard Galliano's playing. Too, yeah, as he's they both do. They both do. Yeah. And he's able to uh, accordions are so often like outside of jazz are used as long drone instruments with just uh, playing long lines and long chords. And but. Uh, Richard's got this very percussive element to it, which is really cool how he manages to pull that off. And uh, Josh gave me an accordion lesson at one point, so I know how hard it is to actually do this. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really cool, yet it still sounds very French. Yes. I'll go ahead and say that right now. Absolutely. Which is, I guess, the intent. But yeah. Yeah, let's see. One thing that I wanted to mention that was really interesting to me too uh, was that um, accordions uh, can pick different combinations of reeds to produce different tones. That's right. And a lot of musette accordion, uh, which is the style of music that they're playing on this record, has a uh, what's called musette tuning, which is when you have uh, two different reeds for the same pitch tuned slightly apart uh, so that it gives a kind of warble vibrato feeling. Richard doesn't do that basically at all on this record. It's very mm. dry tuning. Everything is very much in unison or even just a single reed bank. And it's got, I like it. It's a very, very modern jazz sound. Uh, sounds, um, yeah, it sounds beautiful. What's the other style or styles of, of accordion tuning, I guess? Is that it's it's either called, it? it's dry or wet. And dry wet, wet is okay, when uh, reeds are tuned slightly apart and there's that warble gotcha, because it sounds gotcha. slightly out of tune intentionally. I think and you dry told me this in our lesson. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. Remembering now. Yeah. And dry is when things are in, in perfect unison. Yeah. And it was, I was also curious about Sylvan's uh, other musical interests because it sounded like he had some flamenco influence in there. Quite a bit, actually. And um, 
that's something I really like listening to. Although I haven't really f- explored that style of music as much as I would like to, but yeah, I amazing technique. Don't know if he has amazing flamenco background, but yes, he sounds fantastic. <laughs> it definitely has a flamenco slash classical guitar kind of sound yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. I think that's all for this record. Uh, again, right. links to streaming and to purchase will be uh, in the description. Sounds good. All right. So next up, we're going to be talking about some things we've been practicing and working on as musicians. So Josh, what have you been working on? So uh, similar to what you said last month about uh, practicing some uh, drum rudimentary patterns and uh, putting them in different places. Is that an accurate summary? Yeah. I mean, rhythm is pretty important. It's good to practice. So, so uh, I've been uh, playing with a couple different, uh, I guess, arpeggio patterns or scale patterns that I want to show up in my improvising. So when I was listening to that Richard Galliano record from when we were talking about earlier, there was a particular lick that he played in a solo that I really liked. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And it wasn't, a difficult one or a complicated one it's not like i had to sit down and transcribe it for like three hours before i understood what was going on i just knew what it was but it's also something that doesn't really show up in my playing and i kind of want it to so i've been taking that uh pattern and playing through it in a bunch of different keys and uh uh i'll pick a song that i want to practice improvising over and then try to stick it in as many places as i want which would sound terrible if i was actually performing it (laughs) (laughs) but it's a good way for me to practice using it so that eventually when i do want to use it it'll show up a little bit more naturally and not all over the place like i'm currently practicing yeah and you know oftentimes if you're working on phrases you don't need a long one or anything it can just be even two or three notes sometimes. Yeah, totally. And and just putting that in different places, orchestrating it differently, using dynamics, using, you know, different starting and ending points, different tempos, different subdivisions. These are all different things. Actually, I've been working on this quite a bit with a lot of my students with mm. different phrases and, and such. But yeah, it's pretty. These are it's a great strategy to evolve your your vocabulary yeah really. totally and it's very basic but very effective there's mm-hmm. no reason why anybody should ever not do these things mm-hmm. speaking of that actually i've been doing some of that too and again speaking of elvin jones who we were talking about earlier the legendary drummer who spent most of his time playing with john coltrane but really had quite a, a wide career and i've been looking at a lot of his playing and trying to take little pieces of, of phrases he would use a lot on the drums and and kind of play with those and try placing them different places and making phrases out of them and and such doing things like that. Cool. Yeah. It's one of the things I've been working on. Is it, do you find that it's showing up in your playing yet or is it going to have to take a little, Oh, that that's great. It's all, I mean, it's almost like you have to kind of, uh, I don't want to say turn on Elvin mode, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a, it's a pretty specific thing. So of course you don't want to do that in certain settings, but yeah, yeah, I think for me, as I'm practicing things, it sometimes takes a while uh, for me to practice and kind of uh, simmer or stew on it for a little while before it ends up showing up in my playing. Well, but. yeah, I mean, really, when you're practicing, it's if you're going to have whatever you're practicing show up in your actual playing in a performance setting, you have to be so completely comfortable playing whatever that may be that you won't have to really think about it when you're playing. Absolutely. And a lot of people who, who spend a lot of time practicing things don't necessarily realize the end goal of that, I think, 
because mm-hmm. you can practice something and you can sit down and think about playing that thing and even execute it perfectly when you're practicing. But the next level of practicing is really implementing that into your playing. Yep. And that means it comes out naturally without even, without even having to think about it consciously. It just shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess uh, my practice, I've been forcing it and doing it consciously a bunch in the attempt to get it into my subconscious eventually. Yeah. Another thing I've been working on is, is singing and no, I'm not going to sing. Are you a singer? No, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to sing. I'm not a singer, but singing lines, you know, people's solos or melodies that I like, because really that can, even as a drummer, that can uh, give me a lot of different ideas of things to work on and practice and implement into my playing. If I listen to a a trumpet solo that I like or something, then Mm -hmm. I can pick out a little phrase from that and bring that in. And this is actually how I've been getting some of those short little phrases. Ah, cool. I'll just listen to something. And if I hear something I like, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to take that little snippet and turn that into a whole song even sometimes. So have you been stealing trumpet lines and playing them on drums as a thing? Oh, totally. That's great. That's really I mean, not just trumpet, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Miles Davis live, uh, the 1964 concert. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, it's a great album for those of you who have not heard it. It's also called Four and More, I think. I think it was released under two different titles. Okay. But they play, um, one of my favorite tracks on that record is called Seven Steps to Heaven. And it features a very young Tony Williams, who oh, is man. Miles Davis's drummer for quite a while, playing some very crazy amazing technical but very musical stuff on the drums but i was actually listening to miles davis's solo on that Hmm. and listening to the freedom that he was kind of playing with and trying to pull some of that into my practicing going beyond the bar line even beyond the the uh the whole form line Mm -hmm. stuff like that just going with an idea basically yeah that's really awesome All right, next up we've got what's going on in jazz in Seattle. So, Max, you mentioned earlier that there's a new jam or the some jam moved. What's going on with that? Sure. So it's it's not actually a new jam session, but it is the only jam session, to my knowledge, on Thursday nights. Although I think, actually, Adam Kessler has a, a hang of sorts at Barca as well. But, yeah, so this was the Thursday night Europub jam, which used to be at Europub on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and that closed and now they have restarted the jam at a place called the Nightlight Lounge and I think it's in Belltown. Cool. And I think that's it's from 8 to 10 or 8 to midnight. I, I don't actually know how late it goes. I haven't been yet but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I know the guys who run that and they're very, very nice guys and good musicians so yeah. So there's a bunch of really big names coming into town this month. So Chick Corea is playing at Jazz Alley, February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. I think this episode's going to come out uh, sometime around then. So hopefully, if you're listening now, we'll it'll still it be time. early enough to catch <laughs> it in time. Yep. Uh, Lettuce, this really awesome funk band that both Max and I are into, is coming and playing at the Showbox on February 18th. Uh, Snarky Puppy, probably my favorite favorite band that i'm listening to right now they do jazz and funk and all sorts of world music from everywhere 
uh, is playing at the Moor on February 25th. Although I think they're sold out at this point. All, all of those shows are going to be awesome. Yeah, so we have those. We have a few more local things going on. So we have, although he's not local, saxophonist Tim Warfield is going to be playing at Tula's February 2nd with some local people. That uh, Dan Kramlich on the piano, Greg Feingold on the bass, Matt Jorgensen on the drums. We also have a lot of your standard Tula's performers. We have Stephanie Porter, Jacqueline Tabor, Greta Matassa, Jim Sisko, Jared Hall, Eric Verlindy, Tim Kennedy, you know, a lot of the, the, the local regular names. Seattle yep. crowd. And Don Clement, of course, can't forget her. They're doing a Fat Tuesday party with Thomas Marriott, David Marriott, Skerrick, Tim Kennedy, Devon Lewis, and Evan Flory Barnes. That sounds like it'll be a fun show. That does sound like it'll be a fun show. That's on the 13th, $20 cover. And yeah, Gail Pettis is doing their Valentine's Day. She's a great vocalist if you have not heard her. It's about all I got for the local ones. Yep, sounds awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.